For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Coping is like a really funny word because I don't know if anyone ever copes, but you just get up every day. That That is the long and the short of it. You just, or you don't, you don't even have to get out of bed, but you know, the days pass they do. Hello and welcome to Fertility Life Raft with me, Alice Rose. This podcast is for you if you find yourself longing for a baby and then finding that the path to bringing them home is not easy. It's for you if you've had enough of feeling like you're losing sight of yourself because that's how I felt too. And it's also for you if you're supporting someone going through this and want to understand a little bit more. So, Welcome to a totally safe space, honest conversation, real and raw stories shared and a little bit of topical stuff too, because I really believe it's not all down to you to get through this. The world needs to catch up too. Hello, welcome back to Fertility Life Raft with me, Alice Rose. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, I really mean that. <laughs> it really is. So I appreciate and value every single download and listener. I really do. So thank you. And um, a massive thank you to anyone who has rated and reviewed the show as well. It really means the world. I just wanted to share one email that I was sent from our episode last week with Amber Itzo, um, which said about the episode, what a gem. Also, I was mind blown when I realised that I can actually decide what positivity looks like and that letting out and expressing emotions is positive. Where has this been all my life? I agree, my lovely listener, because I felt the same as you. I was convinced that I just had to stay, you know, really positive all the time. Otherwise, good things wouldn't happen uh, for me. But what I learned and what was totally transformative is that actually it's really almost the opposite and that allowing every feeling to come up is the quickest way to process them and turn it into something more positive by allowing that acceptance and thereby eradicating the conflict. Um, so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really geeky and obsessed with this kind of stuff. So do head to my website, thisisalicerose.com, if you'd like support in finding out more um, on how to, you know, find this for yourself. And it does take a little bit of work and a little bit of exploration. So um, do head on over there if you're interested in that. The second thing that I wanted to talk about before I share this week's amazing interview and guest speaker, uh, Sophie Martin, is a couple who I am lucky enough to know called Lucy and Tom 
And right now, this week, Tom is cycling 500 miles in five days to remember their five losses. So I just wanted to share what they're doing because I think it's amazing. And here is Tom sharing one of the toughest points in their journey to date. Day one of my 500 mile charity bike ride for Tommies. Um, Each morning before I set off, I'm gonna send a little video like this sharing one of our five toughest moments through our fertility journey. Just the interest of raising awareness and um, sharing what we've been through really. So the first one today is around uh, pregnancy announcements. So when you hear a a pregnancy announcement, it can be really tough for someone who's had fertility problems. Um, You're delighted for the person that's pregnant. It's great news. But what it does do is it brings back loads of memories about what you've been through and how you felt. Um, so we've been really fortunate in that our friends and families have been really considerate and given us a call or sent us a message beforehand rather than do it in person or in a group setting, which can be incredibly hard to process. So thanks again, everyone, for all of your support. They had a target of £2,500 to raise for Tommy's, the baby charity, and they've absolutely smashed that. They've gone to 3000 and I want to help them raise that even more. So you can head to the show notes and uh, donate whatever you can spare uh, for their cause, for Tommy's, who are doing an amazing job at the moment, the baby charity, and particularly on their petition which is to tell the UK government that parents shouldn't have to lose three babies before getting support. We won't care after every miscarriage. So I've popped the link to sign that petition as well. They're looking for 200,000 signatures. They're not far away from it. So let's help them to change what happens in the UK um, when it comes to baby loss. This week's guest is Sophie Martin, otherwise known as the infertile midwife on Instagram. And the chat we had is absolutely packed with helpful information, personal insight, and it is so moving to listen to Sophie's story, but also so uplifting too. So as always, please, please do take a moment to rate and review right now or halfway through or at the end. It really does make the world of difference and you have my my deepest uh, gra- gratitude <laughs> for anyone who does do that. So thank you so much to everyone who has already. And if you're going to do it, that's amazing. I really hope that you love this chat and do let me know um, what you what you take from it when you've listened. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Alice. How are you? I'm really well. Welcome to Fertility Life Raft. It is such an honour to have you. I'm really delighted that we could get this date in the diary because I know you're a busy lady, aren't you? Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. So, Sophie, I have shared a little bit about you in the intro. Um, and I would love for you, if if this is OK, for you to just share a little bit about your story and what has brought you to this point now where we're having this chat today. Yeah, of course. Um, So yeah, I'm Sophie, I'm a midwife. um, And my husband, James and I, we started trying for a baby in 2017, so four years ago, um, and it didn't work for us. Um, So after a year, we we actually started IVF pretty much a year to the day that um, we'd started trying. So it was quite a quick turnaround. Um, and on our first round of IVF, we were really, really lucky um, that I managed to get pregnant with identical twins, um, which was just everything and also terrifying all at the same time. Um, and then very sadly, when I was 21 weeks, I went into labour um, 
and obviously that's far too early. So um, our sons were born and then they died. Um, and then after that, I did five more rounds of IVF. Um, and now I am pregnant again, finally. Gosh, you've had such a just a hugely emotional and difficult journey. And just, I've said before, but just, I'm so sorry always to hear about the loss of Cecil and Wilfred and you but you speak about them with such um so much grace and so much generosity as well I think that the fact that you are able to do that is just incredible can you share a little bit about how you were able to find the strength to share what happened and how you're able to find the strength now and how well this is like a massive question really because <laughs> this is partly why I really wanted to, to have you on this podcast the way that you have been able to navigate what has happened for you over the last four years and that's so much and just four, four years is a long time but also the amount that you've actually been through it's just so much the way that you've been able to navigate it share it support so many other people at the same time tell me where that strength comes from well my mum always says I have to be the best at everything so I have to be the best at everything going wrong as well um <laughs> so we always laugh about that because I am like hugely competitive person so I've clearly outdone myself on the uh, truly things going terribly wrong scale um well, I joined Instagram probably about, well, obviously I had my own personal Instagram, but I joined like the infertility um, community probably about six months, maybe a bit more after we started trying for a baby, because I actually felt like I was losing the plot. Um, I just, I know six months is not that long to be trying for a baby, but I already knew that I had low ovarian reserve and just kind of knew that IVF was going to be coming up for us. Um, and so that was just such a huge kind of awakening, I guess, of like, wow, there's other women and I can speak to them and they understand what it's like. And it was just, it was incredible. I literally was like, oh my God, I'm not on my own anymore. And so that was just hugely helpful. Like I loved hearing other people's stories and then in the same way I wanted to tell mine as well. And then I think, being a midwife you're just so used to talking about things which are you know a bit uncomfortable or make people a bit squeamish and to me they're not squeamish or they're not uncomfortable you know we we talk about all sorts of things so it was never really yeah it never really felt like I was doing anything particularly taboo um but I think essentially it just came from a place of such incredible loneliness and I just really could not bear the thought of someone else having that same loneliness too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I felt the same way when I went on to Instagram. I mean, I started sharing like after I'd been through that first, um, my first journey and I'd actually had uh, my first IVF baby. And I just really wanted to share the stuff that had helped me because it just didn't exist when I was going through it. It was not there. And I absolutely felt like I was losing the plot. So I had the same kind of you know that's that's why I wanted to start sharing stuff but I was really nervous to do it but then when I went on I had the same thing where I was like oh my god there's like all these people I could not believe my eyes I was like there's this massive commit and it's grown like hugely hasn't it over the last few years as well um you're a midwife you've been through f f six rounds all to get seven rounds of IVF six egg collections yeah yeah okay so loads of IVF you've lost 
twin boys at 21 weeks. Um, how, how, how do you manage your job and going through that at the same time? Do you know, it's like a different brain almost. I mean, being a midwife is obviously, I, I love it. And when I get to work, I, it's like, I just take that hat off and I just put my midwife hat on because I really have to concentrate on what I'm doing. I take a lot of pride in my work. And so I want to do, I want to be the best midwife. So that means that I have to completely focus on what is in front of me. And um, I mean, obviously there are really difficult days and that's regardless of, you know, my private life, but you know, it's the sort of job which is challenging. Um, and I think to be a good midwife, you have to do a lot of reflection um, and a lot of kind of looking at yourself because no one is perfect. I am far from perfect. I'm definitely not the best midwife that there is, but I think you just have to be really conscious of who you're interacting with or the things that you're saying or, yeah, so I just think, it, I, I just find it really easy to switch off and I feel very grateful for that. Yeah, I think you said something so pertinent there, which is that I just have, I just have to focus on what's in front of me. And that's what I think is pretty much the answer <laughs> to kind of getting through this kind of stuff, isn't it? Like staying as present as possible. Definitely. You know, when, if I think about, you know, I have... I went from having basically no interaction with hospital other than working there to being in and out of hospitals like a yo-yo and then thinking about my interactions with the staff massively makes you think about how you want to be treated as a patient so then I have to just focus on that one person who's in front of me and think well what can I do to give them the best experience or keep them safe and all of those things. I love that. So actually, it's it's almost like you flipped, like, because to read, you know, your Instagram handle is the infertile midwife, which is like an oxymoron in itself, except that it's not, I don't think that's the right way of using that word. But anyway, <laughs> but you would think, you know, your mind would go straight to God, that must be so hard being surrounded by, you know, pregnancies and babies all the time while you're going through that journey. <clears throat> but actually, the way that your brain, as you said, it's like putting on a completely different hat. And that's correct, because it's, it is not your that that's totally separate to what is actually happening in your personal life isn't it yeah absolutely I think you know if if as as a pregnant person I would want someone's complete attention when they were looking after me and so that's my job is to give them my full attention for that you know the great thing about being a midwife is there's no homework like once you finish your shift that's the end but you do have to give your all on that shift okay so then when you came home when you were going through all of this you had your Instagram that was your outlet and that's where you also were supporting other people but having you know that was a community um, space for you as well where else were you managing where where else did you get your strength from what what helps what's in your life raft um so I'm a very I'm quite a controlling person so I went to town on like lifestyle choices I guess and that for me was part of the life raft because I was controlling the things that I could control when so much felt outside of my control. So making sure that we ate super, super healthily, um, researching stuff. I love a good research paper, like trying to read as much as I could and um, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, trying to control the bits that I could control. Mm. 
Yeah, so and you you're you're quite into your gardening and you've got yeah. your little dog crumpet, haven't you? So yeah. and they they also must give you so much solace as well. Definitely. I mean the we I actually wasn't always into gardening, only when we sort of moved here, which was two years ago. So before that, um we lived in a flat in London and we did have a small garden, but it was not anything to write home about. Um but the dog definitely just yeah, they're like the best little companions ever and they make you leave the house. Um, like I think when, well, for me in particular, I did start to find it quite difficult to socialise and things like that. And so having to leave the house twice a day to walk the dog, you feel like you've actually left the house. Whereas if you're saying no to all of your social kind of engagements because you don't feel like you can do them, I would never have left the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me a bit more about that. What was difficult and how did you manage it? I mean, everything was difficult, especially I do feel like the first year before we started IVF actually was far more difficult than people think. Um, I think people will think that like all the rounds of IVF were hard, but actually I felt like I was doing something positive then. Whereas that year where we were, we knew that we were going to need IVF, but I had to wait was torturous really. Um, I mean, I probably didn't handle it particularly well to be honest <clears throat> excuse me I am well I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing but I am very good at just really putting the blinkers on so if someone you know announced a pregnancy to me and I felt like I didn't have the headspace to cope with it that's it like I can't I can't engage with that at all and mm-hmm. um, which is yeah a good and a bad thing I guess I think we find our own ways of managing it, don't we? And that was your way of managing. And that's, you call it blinkers, I would call that a boundary. You know, that's that's keeping it like a really nice, healthy boundary around yourself. To me, that sounds really like a very good way of dealing with it. What happens when that friend who um, then goes through her pregnancy? Because this is what I get asked all the time, like through the women in my membership and through like just so many times, how do you, how do you cope with, friends who are pregnant who want to you know who want to share that that experience with you and also when the baby comes like how do you how how do you get your mind in the right place so that you're able to you know share in their journey and share in their joy but at the same time keeping yourself in you know keeping your blinkers on or keeping your keeping in your healthy boundary what do you do like when they say do you want to come around or I want to you know tell you about my pregnancy do you just find a really healthy way of being like I'm just you know I don't have the headspace for that or do you just kind of gracefully distance yourself without needing to go down that road I've done a bit of both over the years I mean when you're a midwife everyone wants to tell you about their pregnancy (laughs) um, or their birth and things like that which I do I do enjoy um but then on the flip side it can also be really difficult as well um Oh yeah, I've done a bit of both. So I've had a few occasions where I've said, you know, like this is very difficult for me. I think that I'm going to need to take a step back. Um, and then I've also done the like gracefully ghosting sort of situation as well. Um, and I just think it really depends on your relationship with that person as to whether, you know, and like, don't get me wrong. I've definitely messed up as well. Like I've had relationships with friends and I think, oh, I really wish I hadn't handled it that way. Or I wish they hadn't handled it that way, you know, I'm, I'm, I am just I'm practicing the same as everyone else like there's no infertility handbook no one tells you how to negotiate relationships 
Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, people can give you some guidance as to what worked for them, but it's ultimately about exactly as you said, what is that relationship like? And how, how do you feel like, and also it changes, right? Like on a day-to-day basis or like how you're feeling that week or that month or what's recently happened to you. So it's really difficult to say, this is exactly what you should do. And it also completely depends on um, how you as a person manage stuff in general. Going through so many rounds of IVF and sharing what you were sharing on Instagram. James has spoken a little bit on your Instagram account. How, and you guys have got what looks to me like an amazing relationship where you are really, really good at kind of communicating and sharing how you're both feeling. Um, This is all completely just what I can see through an Instagram filter, obviously. So um, I might be wrong. You might have a terrible relationship, but I don't think so. Um, How how does he feel about, about, you know, the Instagram community, how does he feel as a as a guy? Where does he get his support? What's that been like in your relationship? That's a lot of questions. Mm. I mean, I feel so fortunate that I am married to James. He is, yeah, amazing. We've been together 13 years and I just feel like we've really grown up together. But one thing that I do appreciate about James is he is very in touch with his emotions and he's quite a sensitive person. So I feel really fortunate that he's not the sort of man to like clam up or not want to talk about his emotions he's very happy to do that and which is yeah I'm really thankful for and we just always speak about how we're feeling I guess and well I I probably have like verbal diarrhea and tell James every single emotion that's ever entered my brain and and I do think that men process things differently and you know he isn't going through any of the physical side of it um but he he's actually very open in real life as well so he'll chat to his family and his friends um and I think that really helps him too but mainly it doesn't occupy you know 200% of his headspace in the same way that it does for me so he yeah it's with for him and I think a lot of men it's not the same because he can switch off from it whereas I can't Mm, yeah and I think I think you're right I think for women it is much much more difficult to just switch off from it I've had so many conversations with people who feel the same and that who just and it can be really frustrating I used to find it really frustrating who you know as the person trying to research everything and change everything and learn about everything at the same time as not being able to switch off from it to actually to see your partner not really doing that or not needing to do that or you know um yeah just kind of being able to live a normal life without it taking over your brain can be really it actually can be quite annoying but it also can be you know something to learn from and something to be um yeah like grateful for I guess if the both people are finding it impossible to switch off then that's where you would run into some difficulties definitely definitely. and also the way our relationship works is I am you know the very controlling so need to research everything and even if it was something really really banal like what color paint we're going to use I'll have researched all the different types of paint and you know the benefits of a oil-based paint and a water-based paint and I'll have done all of the research and then I'll just be like this is this is everything that I have researched and I've decided this is what we're going to do and he'll be like okay um and that was the same with IVF as well I'll have read you know hundreds of research papers and said 
well I think that this is what we need to do and he'll be like okay if you've researched it and you think that that's the best then that's what we're going to do um so that's always kind of how a relationship works is I'll go in like all guns blazing having to um find out every detail as much as possible and then he'll be like okay well if you've done all the work and um, you know we trust your decision then that's fine you did a video didn't you about how to choose a fertility clinic can you yes, I did. Yeah, yeah I did. share a little bit for because I think that'd be really helpful for listeners to hear lots of lots of people might be in that position now can you share a bit about your own process and what you would advise yeah so when we were choosing our first clinic I definitely was a bit more naive to the process and um, I just we did go to like a couple of open evenings and I kind of did well, I did, I did do some, I did research, but not to the extent I did for the second IVF clinic. Um, and so our first clinic, we kind of knew, we lived in London, obviously we knew the clinics in London, there's lots, um, you know, did a bit of research about ones which might be most suitable for low ovarian reserve and then yeah did some open days but with my choosing my second clinic it was like a military operation um, and actually I learned a lot during that process so what I and again it really depends on what you're looking for specifically but you need someone who is going to treat your specific problem that is first off you know IVF clinics see hundreds and more thousands of patients and not all doctors are specialists in your specific problem there might be an expert in infertility but if their topic is endometriosis and you have polycystic ovaries they're not the doctor for you and um, and then for me personally I wanted one doctor who was going to do my whole cycle at my first clinic you saw a different person every time you went in so you saw a nurse you saw a sonography for your scans the nurse reviewed the um the follicles and then the on the duty doctor made the decision for the next what are you what were you doing whether you were increasing or decreasing your meds and um, so every day someone different was reviewing your protocol and if they didn't think the same as the day before then your protocol was changing and for me that's just not good enough you need one person who is going to look at your cycle every single day and tell you you know because then it's consistent and so that was massively important to me was finding the one doctor who was going to be the expert for my cycle and my situation and which is harder than you think a lot of clinics are not really set up to run that way and and for some people you know you might have like a really straightforward issue and it doesn't matter if you see the duty doctor whereas for me I was like no like I've been through too much now I only want to see one person and that was the main thing that made me choose my clinic. Is it an NHS clinic? Um, it's an, it's a private clinic that does NHS patients. Okay so, so you were were you a private patient? Yeah. Yeah and is it because I think if you're in if you're going down the NHS route you you can still decide which hospital within your area you want to be seen with is that still correct? I think it depends on the CCG because there you know if, if your CCG only funds one clinic then that might be your only option whereas in other places you might have an option of a couple of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah okay so if you're in the NHS then obviously you know you're you're 
ability to be able to choose where you go is going to be limited but within your hospital wherever you are there are ways that you can self-advocate right and there are ways that you can actually improve communication because there's so much the time like the frustration that I hear and that I went through myself with like the lack of communication or just needing to understand more actually I've had people who've like been through halfway through an IVF cycle and actually don't really understand what is happening or like they're a bit confused about about something they're just not 100% clear about what's going on and I just think that's so wrong like I think there should be so you know you, you should be able to pick up the phone and say actually I don't really understand like how can you can you please explain to me or can I just speak to somebody to reassure me how can you um oh, hi crumpet crumpet's coming to shop um, <laughs> how can we find the confidence because this is what I think kills it for some people find the confidence even when you're feeling very vulnerable and you're feeling very um kind of desperate sometimes in those in those consultations to be able to self-advocate and get what you need in that appointment that's a really good question and I definitely think that being a midwife you you just know how to talk to other health professionals in a way that perhaps you might not if you are not a health professional so I have always found that super easy to be like okay well this is what I need from you but I would just say persistence like just you know, it's okay to get home and think, I didn't understand that, or I can't remember what they said. That's totally fine, because even I do that sometimes, think, oh, I can't remember what they told me about that. Um, so what I would say is pick up the phone or write an email and just be really persistent, because whether you're private or NHS, it doesn't matter. You, you know, there should be a standard of care. And, you know, this is like potentially your one shot at, you know, something so massive. So, don't I would say don't yeah be persistent so if you don't understand pick up the phone send an email send another email I am not frightened to literally send I would send like six emails in a day if I thought that that was what I needed to do I'm like a woman on a mission when I decide that I need to do something I'm you know I would phone you know however many times I needed I just think yeah it's so important you know other people get 12 months of the year to try for a baby whereas people doing IVF you get one chance you know however often just be really persistent you know this is your cycle it's your body if you don't understand you need someone to explain it to you and then also don't believe in bureaucracy so as someone who works for the NHS you know you'll phone up and they'll be like oh that's not possible well is it not possible or can you just not be bothered or it isn't the usual practice you know is it actually not possible or do you just not want to do it yes Sophie I love this I think yeah I think a lot of the time people are so what happens I see a lot of the time is that people get so kind of battered by this really difficult experience that they end up coming into a clinic or a consultation whether it's private or NHS and they're not in the they're not in the the they're not able to self-advocate or feel confident enough to be persistent and be consistent and ask for what they need because of the difficulty of what they're what they're going through. Even if they're normally quite a confident and um, you know quite clear in their communication person, it can still be really overwhelming. And I feel like I fall into that camp. I'm quite confident and I'm quite able to say what I need. Better now after going through a lot of <laughs> shit and having to kind of get a lot stronger. I remember being in my first consultation and, and literally falling to pieces with the facility consultant because she was so kind of harsh and so, you know, just there was just, I mean, looking at it from her side that she probably just did not have time to sit and listen to me 
<laughs> but for me, I'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this appointment. And I just needed her to just not be quite so, you know, harsh to me and just, just let me have, just let me have a minute. But yeah, you, I think it's that white coat syndrome a lot of the time. And you're right, because you're a healthcare professional, perhaps it's a lot um, easier for you or more natural to be able to say, actually, this is what I want and this is what I need. And because of you, you know, you do understand the workings of the NHS probably more than, um, than I do or that someone else who doesn't work in, in that system. So that's, that's really helpful advice as well. And I was also told that um, I think patient liaison services with the NHS can be really, really helpful. And I use them myself and communication was just shite with my own clinic and I couldn't get through to anybody. Um, so that's another really good tip as well is to get in touch with them if you're having issues of just finding one person to talk to. Um, just, I love that what you were saying about you're really um well, you keep calling yourself a really controlling person um I think it's more that you're just you know a very proactive person I would call it so the fact that you're doing all your researching and reading all the research papers where do you find the research papers and how do you stop yourself falling down a google rabbit hole yeah that's a really good question and um, well I would say I mean, Google is a really good place to start. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'll often just type things into Google and think, oh, well, what, what might come up? Um, so things like you could start by the nice guidance um, if you're not sure. So, um, and then often at the bottom, it will have all of the links to the papers or like a Cochrane review. And um, so Cochrane is like a really big um, review body. So they, yeah, they do oh my gosh, I can't think of the word now. They do like big literature reviews of a certain topic. Um, and so you can have a look on there. So it'll compare several papers and tell you kind of what their recommendation is. Um, I mean, you know, medical journals, again, not every, you might not be able to access the full paper if you are just a lay person. Obviously I've got some access via work and things like that, but you know, the Lancet, the British Medical Journal, um, again, obviously they're doing lots of other papers as well not just fertility ones but if you go on like ESHRA um if you go on like the British Fertility Society even the HFEA like there is loads of good sources of information to look at the HFEA is actually a really good place to start because you don't have to be medical to understand their recommendations um so that would be a really good place. If you think your clinic's offering you something and you're not sure whether, you know, you should be paying for that add-on or what's the research behind that add-on, the HFEA is a really good place to start. Yeah, that's the Human Fertilisation Embryo Authority. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, really good place to start. Thank you so much. That's really helpful. I think a lot of the time the barrier is often that, oh God, do I have, am I, am I capable of reading, you know, a medical research paper? That would just put, a lot of just read the summary um you know they'll have a um you know literally the entire paper will be summarized in the first paragraph yeah it will tell you what the study was um and what the outcome was but places like Cochrane are really good because they review loads of papers because you know one paper doesn't necessarily tell you whether something works or not it just tells you it worked once um whereas the Cochrane reviews you know they're looking at you know they might be like right let's look in the last 10 years of one medication or like the last 10 years of how we treat whatever it is and um, and then they'll compare all of the studies and then come to the conclusion at the end so the Cochrane reviews are really good you don't you, it's free to access um there's loads of good stuff on there so it's like the York notes basically at the top 
with the summary <laughs> yeah everything will have like a summary of you know this is what we did and this is what the answer was yeah so you don't have to read the whole thing yeah and I think like it's really important to say you know go to these trusted sources of information and don't end up the the, the danger is that people will will head to google and then go down the rabbit hole of you know these or old facebook oh yeah. god, oh, god. Yeah. facebook and don't get me wrong I'm in a lot of facebook ivf groups um although I actually don't go on Facebook, but I did join them all when I started, you know, four years ago of thinking like, I need to learn more. Um, And obviously Facebook, you know, unlike any social media, there is some really good stuff about it, but the Facebook IVF groups do drive me mad a little bit um, because they, it's just full of people telling you one thing that worked for them once, or, you know, that's not particularly helpful. I, I don't think. Yeah, but that that was one of my biggest bugbears, actually, is like um, you can read all of the threads and it'll be like, oh, can someone tell me what protocol worked for this? And it's like, well, you know, I I did my first protocol worked first time and then I did five rounds after that. So, you know, just because it worked once, even on me, doesn't mean it would work again on me. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's absolutely it. You know, I had the same with my first round of um, Clomid. I had a textbook cycle where I had a 28 day cycle. Uh, I didn't get pregnant, but I had, I d- it did work. And then the next time I took it, absolutely nothing happened. You know, I didn't ovulate. I didn't, nothing happened. And I was like, huh, how can, how can this, <laughs> how can that not work? So yeah, to be really vigilant in terms of where you're getting your information and just to be really careful about interrupting your your um I keep saying the rabbit hole but that's exactly what happens isn't it you just end up just go and then you just go down and down and down and then it's three o'clock in the morning and you're kind of and the thing is if you go onto google looking for an answer a specific answer to your specific situation you will find it because someone somewhere will have had the same thing it does not necessarily equal that that's what you should then go and do or that this is the answer for you I think we've got to remember that infertility is just a massive unknown. So even the experts don't know, um, you know, they, they do the best that they can with the research and the knowledge that they have, but actually that we've like scratched the tip of the iceberg of what we know about women's fertility. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting as well. The lack of knowledge and the lack of um, information, which can be so incredibly frustrating, especially if you've got unexplained infertility where they just, can't really tell you and it's and a lot of the time you know they will say it's a numbers game and you just have to keep Keep going nice yeah you just have to keep rolling the dice so we've gone quite medical which is not usually what (laughs) it's not (laughs) usually where I I head to but I just thought you have so much you know kind of very sensible and really helpful stuff on that and I think you in a way you're quite lucky because you've come into it with a you know with a healthcare professional mindset which you know I certainly didn't have and and I think that I had to kind of get there over a long time of understanding like okay right no I don't this isn't working for me like this this information or um, my mindset isn't really helping me right now I need to find other ways whereas I think um, what you seem to have so naturally is just this real ability to kind of almost compartmentalize like what's happening Um, and and you're very good at being very very present Um, how can we talk a little bit about how you coped in the aftermath of losing Cecil and Wilf- Wilfred? Yeah. 
what who was there in terms of support for you where can people go if they go through something similar to that so coping is like a really funny word because I don't know if anyone ever copes but you just get up every day that that is the long and the short of it you just or you don't you don't even have to get out of bed but you know the days pass they do um uh, it was so my family was amazing um you know my mum came around like every day pretty much um and then the baby loss community on instagram was great um i went to some sans meetings obviously pre-covid where you could meet up face to face um i also went not quite connected but um the fertility network i went to some fertility meetups as well and there was other girls there who had also lost babies too and um, and so making like real life friends who had lost a baby was really really nice um i think and the real life infertility friends as well like the fertility network was great i've got some amazing friends from that um so that that was really useful and um, my so always my absolute savior was nicola gaskin's book life after baby loss okay. um I just can't recommend it highly enough. It's so gentle and beautifully written and just, I still read it sometimes, like just I'll pick up and read a chapter. Um, and yeah, it's I it it's just incredible. I really would recommend it. Um, and it's for, for all losses, but I do feel like a lot of literature about pregnancy loss is actually aimed at first trimester losses. And there's a lot less for those of us who've experienced later losses. and they're just different so they're that's not to say one is worse than the other they're just different so um Nicola did um lose her son winter after birth um at term and I just felt like speaking to someone who well speaking but reading her story about losing a, a baby later in a pregnancy or, or post-birth was yeah just felt like I'm not alone even it's just the most isolating thing that can ever happen to you and you feel a bit like you've got some sort of contagious disease that no one wants to catch from you um and or you feel like there's a massive mark on your forehead that says like this person is not capable of making or carrying a baby mm. I, even though no one else can see it but I could see it on myself of like I'm different from everyone else so then have re like reading her book was just yeah, you feel like, okay, well, maybe I'm not the only person that, you know, this has happened to. Yeah. Yeah. And just the comfort in that and having, I think something about a book as well, I find incredibly comforting. Like oh, I, I love books. I love books. Well, I love books. I, 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 me and James call it the infertility library because I pretty much bought every book that was ever written on infertility <laughs> and read it. Um, and loads of them are rubbish, loads of them I love, but um, I love reading. And um, yeah, so we've got this library of books, which is huge. Um, of, yeah, because I just was on Amazon, like buying books, 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 books to try and find, you know, something that would help. I think that's such a great thing to do, Sophie, because I think a lot of the time we tend to like bury our heads in the sand with this kind of stuff. And we actually just want to just kind of blank it out and we don't really want to deal with it. But to just go, no, 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 this is happening to me. This is actually going on. And I really want to I just want to. 
I want to I want to deal with it I want to kind of be in it and and by reading about it and by learning more about how other people what what has happened to other people and how they have got through it and managed it it can provide so much kind of yeah comfort but also um strength I think that you know that you you know and that's always there for you you can come back and you can go to your infertility library and like pick up one of your books that has helped you in the past because you know that it's there do you do that much or I mean you're obviously in a different place now I've got a few books which are like my staple books so out of the the library you know if I thought a book was rubbish I'd just take it to the charity shop or like I'd give it to your friend and be like I didn't love this but you might find it useful I want to know which ones you thought were rubbish no. <laughs> <laughs> let's not know let's not do that that's mean and then I've kept the ones that I felt connected to in some way and I don't even read them necessarily sometimes I'll just pick up the book and look at it and think like well why did that book speak to me at the time or what was it I really liked about that book because they'll often be like even just a, like one phrase or like a theme that spoke to me at that time and I mean I love books anyway but yeah, so I've I've chucked the ones that didn't serve me and I've kept the ones that have. And I yeah, I don't even need to read them sometimes. I just need to like look at the cover of it and think, well, why was that book useful for me? Yeah, that's interesting. And you can't really get that from a screen, can you? No, no. It's just not the same. So yeah, yay for books. So now you find yourself in this position, you are pregnant. And a huge congratulations to you. I could not have been more delighted when I saw that news. And how how has that been navigating this new chapter? Oh, it's been much harder than I ever thought it would be. And I thought it would be hard. And it was, it's been like next level hard. And I didn't share the pregnancy news until fairly late in the pregnancy um, with anyone really um, not even like other than like our immediate families we we just kept it to ourselves because I couldn't really cope with the emotions I was feeling let alone anyone else's emotions that they wanted to share with me about it as well um, and the fear is just unbelievable really um, I had a hospital stay as well for for like five days um, and I think you're always waiting for the punchline of something to go wrong and essentially I just don't think that's going to go until this little person is here um, but one thing that I do find quite positive is that there is a baby inside my belly um, and whether that baby lives or dies it will be a privilege to meet that person. And that is what Cecil and Wilfred have taught me. That is um, a beautiful thing to say. Sophie, thank you for sharing that with me. I don't know about anyone else, but I have definitely just got goosebumps everywhere. So you are just such an incredible person. And thank you for being so open and so generous with sharing your story and you know, supporting so many other people. And I just wish you so much love and um, will be keeping you in my in my thoughts and in my heart as well. So massive thanks, Sophie. Where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram as The Infertile Midwife um, or my website as well, The Infertile Midwife. Those are the places that I hang out. 
Thank you so much. Please do go and have a look at Sophie's incredible work. You do lots of, um, you also do loads of uh, antenatal talks and things, you know, with, with, you know, as a content creator midwife, um, which is like kind of, we haven't even really gone there on this conversation, but there's loads of stuff that you do on that, on that side as well, isn't there? And lots of writing and speaking on that stuff. Yeah, I do try to keep the midwifery stuff kind of a bit more low key, just because I know a lot of people do follow me more for like the baby loss or the infertility but also infertility is a journey and so it doesn't like having a baby is part of the journey isn't it that's the aim of it so I do think that you know having really sensitive midwifery care is a really important part of that as well and it's something that I did not have access to as a midwife you know I didn't know how to navigate that before I went through this myself so yeah I think that or just um like bereavement care as well I obviously just navigate it all very differently now um having kind of lived through it so yeah I do do some midwifery stuff on my pages but I do try to kind of be really sensitive for those people who are not in that position yet Yes. And, you know, there are there's loads of support actually for pregnancy after loss, which we won't go into here now. Um, but definitely uh, trying years, my friend Kat, who has her amazing community, The Hangout and um, yeah, lo- lots of other places, which will um, I'm sure be able to signpost in the show notes as well. If, if people listening are in that position as well. Thank you so much, Sophie. I will let you go. But um, a huge thanks to you again for your time today. And I will. Um, yeah, I'll be watching and cheering you on from from the Instagram pages. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. What an amazing guest uh, this week. Thank you so much, Sophie, for your time. Um, just so inspirational if you find yourself in the same position as sophie and you need support please head to the show notes where i've popped some um really great places that you can go and i would also just love to hear from you on instagram come and find me this is alice rose and let me know let me know what you thought of this episode please do share it please do rate review i know i sound like a broken record but i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep going because you know you know this is how i do spread the word and and let me know what you need just let me know i'm here i'm at your service i'm literally at your service so if there's something that you want me to discuss or share or talk about or something that you wish that I would you know have on this podcast then let me know um I'm really conscious of you know the gosh like the depth and breadth of of these conversations that can be had and I just want to make sure that I I am as representative as possible as well even though I you know that that's 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 tough you know every every week I try to um find somebody who is going to offer you some inspiration and we talk about things that I hope are going to really help you to navigate this journey in, a, in, in, the, in the best possible way with the best possible support that I can um, bring to you but if there's something that you feel you know could be on here that I'm not doing just let me know and I will see you next week take very good care and I'll speak to you soon